Good to be with you. I was preaching two weeks ago. Can you remember what I preached on? Who was here last uh, two weeks ago? Right. Let, let's have let's have a feedback. Sorry. You're coughing now. I can I can hear it? I'm discouraged now. I preached on discouragement. <laughs> you remember? You remember now? Right. So go back to your notes. As we were worshiping um, Revelation, a portion of. Of, of rejoicing God's presence came to my mind where there were multitudes uh, and there was a roar, there was a mighty outpouring uh, of praise and worship and adoration. Uh, are you looking forward to that? It's around the corner for Chris, maybe. Maybe this is his time. And, um, we've, we've, you know, life just goes like, like that and, and it's over. Julie, nice seeing you with us. We, we did a swap. I came here and Julie went there to our church there. Is it still in existence? Okay, so it's doing okay without me. <laughs> Good. Are you still in contact with Steph? Give, give him our love and best wishes. Oh, great. So would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? I noticed that Matt ran away when I did the pop quiz here. Ah, look at that. <laughs> look at that. I was just telling the congregation that I was so discouraged they, they didn't had to be encouraged. <laughs> no, they did remember. And when I, I was trying to think of it myself during the week and think, what did I preach on last time? So don't worry. <laughs> it's not for condemnation. It's just by way of reminding. I'm a teacher in background. All right, so Matthew chapter 6. And um, should oh, it's a long portion. Are you happy for us to read half the Bible? Let's start at verse 19, shall we? There's such a glare over here. Let me take this back. Sorry? Yeah, can this thing go down or off? These taller guys can cope, I think, because the shorter guys, it gets, gets the glare over here. Get a box here. Verse 19 of, of, Luke, of Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than the food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, reap, 
or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Living in a very tense and extremely uptight world, and God says in Philippians as well, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, the first part, be, do not be anxious for anything, or do not be anxious about anything. And so we're living in this very tense world called the age of anxiety. And uh, Jesus' command to us not to worry seems a bit unrealistic, does it not? In our day and age, everybody worries. Right? You have worries. Everyone has worries of some sort or another. So how can God expect us not to worry. Surely this was written and this was spoken into a, into a situation where it was a simpler lifestyle. People didn't have the pressures and the anxieties that we have today. Now we must remind ourselves that the word of God is written for all ages. It's written to all situations. God knew that we were going to have problems. That's why he wrote this. That's why he had this written for us, recorded for us. And so Jesus' command might seem impossible for us, some of us here today. But wouldn't it be great if it wasn't impossible? What if we could, there were some ways in which we could, which we could worry less or not worry at all? Wouldn't that be great? Well, let's look at some of the reasons why we shouldn't be worrying and living in an anxiety. Because first of all, Jesus doesn't want us to, and that's a good reason not to worry, right? He's our Lord, he's our King, he's our Savior. And he lived on this earth, and he went through all sorts of trials and tribulations. He had three years to prepare eternity for us, to prepare his disciples, to prepare the way. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And look at the world today, look at where we are. Two billion born-again believers he was despised, he was rejected, he was spat upon, he was hated, and he was put on a cross. He knows what we, we go through. He understands. You know, so often I hear, hear people say, but, but, but God doesn't understand. Yes, Jesus does. He's been through the mill. And he's God after all, so he does understand. And so he says in this portion, did you notice how many times it says don't worry or worry? It is mentioned five times, no less than five times. And three of those are commands. And so we're not asked, think about it or consider it or pray about it or maybe yes, maybe no. It says do it. 
It says, don't worry. So what is worry? It's a state of anxiety and uncertainty over actual or potential problems. Some synonyms for worry, anxiety, restlessness, nervousness, agitation, tension, stress, apprehension, fear, dread, angst. So it's no wonder that Jesus doesn't want us as his disciples to live like this. He wants us to live a better lifestyle. He wants something better for us than the world, because this is how the world lives, does, does it not? And he wants us to lift our gaze. He wants to give us a world free of crippling anxiety and stress that focuses on the things of the world. All right, so Jesus says we mustn't. Good enough reason. Secondly, because it's unhealthy, it's destructive. And some we know some of the effects that it has on us, don't we? The headaches, the inability to concentrate, the irritability, muscle tension, nausea, sleep disturbances, apart from people that go bananas with their music like they did uh, last night again at 4 o'clock this morning. They kind of turned it up. And some of the more serious physical consequences, if that's you, just see me afterwards. Some of the more serious physical consequences are suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, short-term memory. Don't know what my next point is. Premature coronary disease, heart attacks. And so it's not surprising that, that Jesus doesn't want us to worry, right? It's not surprising. I mean, and the biggest and the most destructive part that it damages our fellowship with Jesus. It damages our fellowship with Jesus. Not our relationship, because that can't be destroyed if we're born again, but our fellowship with him. And it even destroys our fellowship with him at, at times. It's a spiritual issue. You see, worry is a deeply spiritual issue. We can't live with chronic worry and enjoy fellowship with God. We cannot have joy. We, we will come to a time like this and we will stand like dummies. We will stand like, does God really love me? Does God really care? I've got so many worries. It destroys it. And so that is why God doesn't want us to live with worry. Thirdly, it's unproductive. It doesn't change anything. It's Useless. Worrying is useless. That's what this passage is all about. Have you ever worried in the middle of the night? You've woken up with, with worries like I have. And, 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 and you worry, and, 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 but you don't solve anything because you're, you're so tired. And you think, wow, I worried for an hour or two. And I've learned to say to worry when it comes to me, to say, sorry, I'm not going to worry now. I'm going to think about it tomorrow. And I'm going to hand it over to you now, Lord. I'm handing it over to you. You take care of it. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that God provides for the birds of the air. And uh, how much more valuable are we not than the birds of the air? Far, far more valuable than anything of God's creation, far more valuable. And so to doubt God is, is not right, it's not on. Worrying about the future 
just shortens our lives. It says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Worrying kills. It doesn't add to our lives. It kills. It destroys. It's destructive. It's unproductive. We need to shout at it and say, Futsak, get away. I don't want you. You're not my friend. We, we make friends with, with, with worry, don't we? You know, like, like the hypochondriac, and she went to the doctor, and he said, for the umpteenth thumb, and he said, so what's wrong with you now? She says, I don't know. Have you got a suggestion? <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes we, we, we kind of like our worries. I've, I've heard people saying, you know, I don't know what I'd do without worrying. It's like crazy. A lot of, uh, or most of our worries never happens, does it? Does it not? Just, just, just think about the things that you, you worry about. 60 to 80% of that stuff doesn't, doesn't happen. So it's, it's useless. It's, it's worthless. Worrying. It's unnecessary. And it's a lack of trust in God as well. Is it not? That's our next point. It demonstrates a lack of trust in God. Excessive worry tempts us to think that God doesn't care and that God is not in control. Or to put it another way, uh, if we have excessive worry, we, we, we kind of think that God doesn't love me and God doesn't have a plan for my life. Last week, Joe preached on, on that portion, that wonderful portion, which says that God has a plan for your life and God is, is here to bless us, not, not just in the future and eternity, not just in the, in, in the years ahead, but, but live for the now. Live for the here and the now. Do you remember that? You remember what, what he preached on? Live, live life to the full right, right now. God will provide. God will provide. Imagine if someone saved your life, jumped into the sea, there you were right near the rocks, and it was high tide, and you were drowning, and this man rescued you, saved your life. The next day, you met this man, and, and you said to him, I don't know if I can really trust you. I don't know if you really care for me. He would feel insulted. Huh? I would feel insulted if I rescued a guy and he said that to me. Jesus came from glory and he died on the cross to save us, to give us life. And then we can't trust him for the little things? How insulting is that? One theologian says it's treason. It's treason. Or to put it in another way, as Christians, we trust God for eternity, don't we? I mean, we're secure. We know we, if we die, we'll go to be with God one day and we'll be there, there in glory. But we don't trust him in the little things. How cockeyed is that? We trust him for the big things, but we don't trust him for the small things. And we need to catch ourselves and say, God has done so much and provided so much and shown his love in so many ways. How can I dare not trust him in the small things in, in life? Some people don't trust God with their finances. How do I know that? Because I've been counseling people over the years, over the de decades, and so many people say, no, I don't, I don't tithe. I can't afford to tithe. And what they're saying is that I don't trust God. I don't trust God to do it His way. And you know what happens? Their finances are a mess. 
Their finances are a mess. And if, it's, if that is us today, we need to repent. We need to turn to God and say, God, I know that I can trust you for the big things. I want to learn to trust you for the small things. Maybe finances are not that small for us, but they're small in comparison to the grandeur and the greatness of God's love that he evidenced for us. Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all your needs, not just financial, but all your needs. When we think we're in the dwang and nothing can get us out of this jam, I've been there. We've, we've done that. And God's come out for us time and time and time and time again. Why should we not worry? Because, number five, it's not God-centered. Timothy Lane is a psychologist and also a pastor, and he, say, he writes this in his book, What you worry about is a good indicator as to what you truly value and rely upon. When you find that you are filled with anxiety, there's something going on in your heart. Worry is a sign that you have made something other than God your functional God. And we can think of all the good things, like our jobs, like our spouses, like our families. Just think about your job. If you love your job more than you love God, then your job becomes your ultimate provider your ultimate worth giver. And if it is the case, then you will be anxious about losing your job. You will be anxious about your performance. You'll be anxious about whether you're going to be recognized or promoted. Anxiety will come. Rick Pretikin, in his book, Why Did I Lose My Job, writes this. He was out of work for two years, and this is what he writes out of that. And now he's, he's devoted his whole life to helping people who've gone through loss of jobs. And Rick says, the toughest part of the journey has been, has been learning more about myself than I was ready to accept, how much fear I harbored, how much my previous job formulated my net worth as a person. I was able to see with clarity how my entire life was driven by work. My identity, self-respect, my self-esteem, and my sense of self-worth were all centered around my occupation. And the same thing can be said as a already mentioned about all the other members of our family and, and friends. No matter what we overlove, whenever you make the blessing more important than the giver, you will become anxious. You will become anxious. And ironically, you will likely do them harm. Now, I just want to let you into a secret. I was a real blessing to my mother. I, I, re I really was. So I just put it out there. She, 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 um, <laughs> her mom, her mom died when she gave birth to my mom and, uh, her dad was struck by lightning and she was brought up in an orphanage and, uh, she thought that the members, the other members of the family, the uncles and aunts would take her in and they didn't. So they were cut off from her and I was her, her only sort of real relative. And so she overloved me. Do you understand what that means? I was smothered. I was smothered in love to the point where when I became six or seven or eight, I started doing this to my mother. I was overloved. I was harmed. I was harmed. She loved me desperately, dearly. I appreciate her love, but it was an overlove. See, she didn't know Jesus at that stage. I introduced her to Jesus at a later stage. 
But we can overlove. Whatever overlove is, is not God-centered, and it is destructive. It's number six, a bad witness as well. If we are constantly living under a cloud of fear, worry, anxiety, it's a bad reflection on God, is it not? It's a, it's a bad reflection on the great, enormous, powerful, wonderful, all-loving God that we serve. We, we're demonstrating that to the world. We're, we're saying, this is the kind of God that we serve. No, no, we dare not. We dare not. We need to be the witnesses that point people to a glorious God, an all-providing God, a wonderful Father. And isn't he a wonderful Father to us? Even in loss, he's a wonderful Father. The pagans were living for material things, were they not? And they were running after them. And verses 31, 30 to 32, Jesus says, don't live like them because you're concentrated, concentrating on the here and the now. But your trust is in eternal things. And so he scolds his disciples, oh, you of little faith. No wonder if he says that to us today. Oh, you of little faith, when we reflect and portray a God that's other than the great, enormous, all-powerful, glorious God that we, we serve. You know, when you use a mic microscope, you make something very, very, very tiny look big, unnaturally big. When you look through one of those newfangled telescopes, you see God's creation and it's made to what it should be representing as you look through that telescope. You magnify it. And Christian friends, we magnify God by making him big. By making him look the size that he really is. Giving him the worth that he really has in our lives. How then can we overcome being fearful and worried and anxious? Make Jesus king of your life. Make him king of your life. Matthew 6, 33, that portion that we read, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be subtracted from you. No, then all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, get your priorities right. What are you living for? Does Jesus satisfy the deepest longings of your heart? Does he? If he doesn't satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, then when we're in trouble, we're going to go to booze. We're going to go to drugs. We're going to go to sex. We're going to go to sport. We're going to go everywhere else but to Jesus. And he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then these things will fall into place. But we run after other things to satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. And it's not seeking first the kingdom of God. And we end up in a chomors. Just the interpretation of that is a mess. For ye English speakers here. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 10 says, So then banish anxiety from your heart. So then banish it. When it comes, we need to quote that verse and say, God, I want to banish this. 
But I'm running after this thing to, to, to give me safety, security, fulfillment. No, I can't banish it when I'm running after that. I must run to Jesus. I must make him king of my heart, king of my life. And so when you're filled with anxiety, something's going on in the heart, as we've, as we've already read from, from um, Lane. In our Swiss plant, church plant, things didn't fall into place as we, as we thought. And I had this recurring dream that, that I was in a motor car and, and I was reversing somehow. I was going forwards, but suddenly it went into reverse. And I, and I, could, I, wasn't, I was not in control. And I was in Geneva, and they're very narrow streets, and they're normally one-way streets, and there are cars on either side. I never hit anything, but it, the more I tried to stop this thing from going backwards, the, the, the faster it went. And it went around corners, and, and it was like, it was, it was terrible. I woke up with a sweat, and it was recurring. And I went to God and said, God, what's happening here? What are you, what are you saying to me? And God said, you're trying to, you, you, you feel like you're out of control with this church plant. You feel like you're out of control with this church plant. And you're trying to be in control. And you know when I said, okay, Lord, I, I, I repent. You're in control. You're the king. Take your rightful place. Your timetable is perfect. Your ways are perfect. Whatever you want to do, I surrender. I surrender to you. And guess what? The dreams disappeared. And the joy and the peace came back. That's seeking first the kingdom. Sometimes not an easy lesson to learn. You see, the kingdom of God is God's reign and his rule in our hearts and in our lives. Does he rule and does he reign in the nitty gritties? That's where it really counts. Where the tacky hits the turf. It's not theory. It's not theoretical. It's practical. He's a practical God. He wants to bless us. He wants our lives to be a blessing. I've come to give you life in its abundance. It's not all the trappings and the trimmings. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about abundant spiritual life, which is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, overcoming being fearful and anxious, we need to live in the knowledge that God promises to be with us. Each and every day. Jesus said uh, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you believe that promise? It's a precious promise. He knows the very hairs of our head. Some of you, well, he doesn't have to count too, too much. And he knows the very hairs of our head. Such is his concern for us every, every day, every, every moment of every day. He doesn't go on holiday. Doesn't take long leave like Dan. Doesn't go to the toilet. He's there. He's with us. And what's more, Jesus was leaving this earth and he said to his disciples, were, were really worried now. No, 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 you can't leave us. You can't leave us. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to send a counselor, a comforter, and he will be with him. John chapter 14 verse 12 says, for he will live with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. You can't get much closer than that, where God lives within us. Amen? Is God living within you? And yet a time to say, God, where are you? I feel abandoned. 
and God doesn't love me anymore. Been there? Done that? No, he never abandons us. doesn't depend on our feelings. You know, I feel God's far away. I can't worship him today. I can't go to my quiet time. You know, I'm going to be unhappy today. I, I'm just putting it out there. No, it doesn't depend on feelings. We don't live by feelings. We live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's near us, promises never to leave us or forsake us. And when we are anxious and when we are fearful and when we are worried, we can say, God, your presence is with us. That's fine. That's all I need. You're holding my hand in this time. In times of death, he's there. He's with us. And he's preparing eternity for us, for you, Chris, if this is the time for you. Third, live in a dynamic relationship with Jesus. At the start of the sermon, I said, imagine if there were some ways or means where you could worry less or you could maybe not even worry at all. Well, this is, this is the vital way. If you, if you forget in everything that I've said, like you did last, last one. <laughs> I'm just rubbing it in. Don't take me seriously. God wants to have a relationship with us more than anything else in all the world. You know, it's taken me a long time to register that. Really? Man, what did he come from glory for? Not just to save us, not just to give us a ticket for glory, but to have a relationship with us. That relationship was destroyed by sin. And God desperately wanted to restore the relationship. And then so often we live as though we don't have a relationship with God, or it doesn't really matter if, if I push into God or not. He does. He's desperately keen for us to have a relationship with him, and he will go to any lengths for us to have that relationship with us, even if it means pain and discomfort in our lives. But he will draw us back to himself. He wants that relationship, and it's that relationship that enables us to cope. Again, going to Rick, who wrote the book, Being Out of Work, I had no idea how stressed out I had become. I was stressed about work, about life, about family issues. After having been out of work for several months, I changed. Glory. Friends couldn't understand how calm I had become. I reduced my previous dependency on medication by 50%. Perhaps most significantly, the significant difference was the growth in intimacy that I experienced with the Lord. And that was the that was the crux of it. The pain brought him to, to Christ. Where he was concentrating on his work and he was stressed about his family and, and about about everything. The relationship was neglected. And when that relationship was restored, his health was restored physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's so important. When, when the crashes come and we don't have that relationship constantly over the years, that crash is that much more severe. John chapter 14 verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That peace is, is relational, is it not? It's relational. When my, when my kids weren't, weren't obeying me, too well, you know. Um, I wasn't at peace with that. 
And um, they knew it. And when they came for an ice cream, no, I don't think so. My peace, I leave with you. Four, trust in God's promise to provide for all your needs. Relational again. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will meet all your needs. God called us to ministry. and One of my big fears was, where are we going to cope financially? Because I heard that ministers were so well paid. And uh, and uh, many left the ministry because the pay was so, so bad in those days. Now, wow, you know, it's different. Praise God. Um, but many le- left the ministry not only because of the stresses and strains of the work that they were overseeing, but they, they just couldn't cope financially, and they left. And, and I said, God, no, uh, how, how am I going to cope with this? And he took me to this verse, My God shall supply all your needs, all your needs, according to his riches in glory. Now, we've had some tight, tight times in, 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 in church plants, and giving away money and giving away this and that and the other to, to build buildings and so on. But God has been true to that word, true to his promises, and we can bank on it. If all these other things fall into place, if we know that he's king of our hearts, if we are walking in close union with him, if that relationship is, is tight, then God will come out for us. Lastly, Cast all your anxieties upon him. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, which I quoted initially. Do not be anxious about anything, but he has the solution. But in everything, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, that we are to cast anxieties on him. It's like a casting net. You know, sometimes we, we kind of sort of say, yeah, my anxieties, and then they're still in, in the hand, and, and uh, we, we take it back, and we don't give it to God. How's our time? Our time's finished. Um, just, can I read to you just some very quick practical steps that uh, a psychologist says that we should do? Admit fears and insecurities and anxieties when they arise. Don't push them down. Secondly, talk these things over with someone, your spouse, friend, prayer partner. Third, learn to relax and de-stress, exercise, time off, hobbies. Four, developing good time management principles. Five, evaluating and periodically restructuring one's priorities and life goals. Five, find a mentor. Seven, uh, uh, six, seven, avoid Extremes, overwork, underwork. Eight, plan ahead to avoid stress. There's some practical things. And sometimes we, we err on, on not being practical. We're so super spiritual that, um, that these things just are forgotten. So let me pray with you and for you. And as you sit here today and as you hear the word, maybe there are many who are, are stressed and fearful, anxious. Won't you just hand that over to the Lord? Won't you put into practice what he's been telling you this morning? And just confess sin where it's necessary. 
unbelief, being hard-hearted, hard-headed, far away from God. Recommit your life to him now. Make him king of your life. Make him Lord. Don't be a control freak. You'll live in anxiety if you're a control freak. So Father, you see every prayer, you see every heart. We pray that the peace of God will just flood in and your joy will be restored. Father, that we would reflect you the glorious I am, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that we will be good reflectors of who you are and that we will magnify you in our lives and through our, our testimony and our witness. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, please come and speak to us afterwards. He will give you his peace and his joy. Have a good day, good week. Lord bless. Pop quiz next time.